Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. On this week's show, it appears New Zealand teams are going to once again dominate the Super Rugby competition if week one is anything to go by. Has the one-day cricket series between the Black Cats and South Africa lived up to the hype? Can the Warriors finally turn around 22 years of hurt and we pay tribute to one of Netball New Zealand's most loved Silver Ferns. Well, week one of the Super Rugby competition is done and dusted. Over in Japan, the defending champions, the Hurricanes, smashed the Sunwolves 83-17, but that was no real shock. I think everyone sort of expected that. The Chiefs, though, they finally ended the Highlanders' three-year win streak after they beat them down in Dunedin. The Auckland Blues, they well, they actually looked pretty good against a relatively average Melbourne Rebel side, though, so can't really read too much into that at this stage. And the Crusaders scraped past the Brumbies in Christchurch. But again, we know what the Crusaders are like if the last 20 years are anything to go by, and they tend to have a slow start to the season and build as it goes on. Taking a look in Australia, well, the always underachievers, the Western Force, actually lead the competition in Australia. So that sort of says a lot, I guess, about where they're at at the moment. And in the two South African divisions, the Stormers lead Conference 1 and the Argentinian Jaguars actually lead number 2. So that's good to see. Joining me now is Barry Guy. Uh, I guess to start off with, Barry, week one of the competition, what did you make of it? Did you see anything you like or didn't like? Well, I suppose uh, first up, there were a number of errors. It looked like a first round of uh, rugby. Um, you know, they weren't at their best, um, looking for combinations and that sort of thing. Uh, what I did like, though, of course, and it's perhaps the only part of Super Rugby I like, is, is when the New Zealand teams are playing each other and the Highlanders and the Chiefs. Again, a lot of errors in there, but the intensity was there. And, uh, you know, there was great collisions and uh, um, it was uh, had that real New Zealand intensity. And so also what I took from that is that having just seen bits of the other games is that I think the New Zealanders, there's no reason why they won't be the leading contenders to win the Super Rugby mm-hmm. competition again uh, this year. Um I suppose there was some criticism, wasn't there, for the Sunwolves in their game against the Hurricanes in Japan, and Mm. a lot of talk about uh, how disappointing their effort was. Um, But on the flip side of it, I think perhaps a number of New Zealand teams will probably look forward to meeting possibly uh, the the Sunwolves or, you know, the South Africans, uh, a couple of the South African sides or the Western Force or the uh, Melbourne Rebels because it'll almost be like a bit of um, a, a round where the intensity isn't there 
and because the New Zealand sides, when they meet each other, they're just going to bash, you know, mm. each other, uh, and um, mm. there'll be all sorts of injuries. And we have, of course, met the big competition coming up, big series coming up in, in June when the Lions come here. So uh, I'm sure Steve Hansen will be watching on closely just to see uh, how many injuries there are. And while the New Zealanders may be well uh, battle-hardened when it comes to that Lions series, I do wonder how many of them will still be standing when we have to take on uh, Warren Gatlin's side. Mm-mm. Just touching on the Sunwolves there, do you think we can sustain having a team like that and the Kings getting hammered so frequently in the competition? Do you think there is a place for them in this competition? I personally uh, think that it, it came, comes down to a bit of a trade-off as, uh, you know, what do New Zealand sides get out of it? But more do, does Japan and perhaps, um, you know, say if there's a, a future as a, a, a South Pacific team comes into the mm, competition, mm. what they get out of it. And I do think there is something for Japan um, that uh, they will develop players and they'll play at a, a higher level and a greater intensity and they will get something from that. Unfortunately, if they're going to lose by 70 or 80 points each week, then the fans perhaps are going to lose interest mm, and it mm. will be a problem. But again, world rugby, Japan rugby, or even those weaker teams in South Africa, they do need help to make the competition uh, more competitive. Yeah, I suppose it can't be an overnight fix, can it? And as you mentioned earlier, it's good for the uh, the New Zealand teams when they can get that bonus point or the uh, points differential up. Um, looking ahead to this weekend, we've got another couple of New Zealand derbies. Uh, any there that take your fancy? Uh, I'm interested in see the Blues when they take on the Chiefs. Uh, they had that win up uh, over Melbourne in the first round, but really, uh, can they sustain that and the excitement and the intensity uh, when it comes to playing one of the top New Zealand sides like the mm. Chiefs? The Blues... From memory, only won one New Zealand derby last year and they need to beat more New Zealand sides this year if they're going to make the playoffs. So I want to see how well the Blues do. And uh, Aaron Smith uh, for the Highlanders, he had that sort of uh, uh, rugged end to 2016 and um, he threw the intercept in the first round last weekend and perhaps dented his uh, confidence a little. He needs to really uh, start coming back into uh, mm. contention mm. once again and a, a good test for him when they come up against the Crusaders. Yes, look, looking forward to a good weekend again of Super Rugby. Thanks, Barry. Well, joining us now is sports editor Stephen Hewson to talk all things cricket. Taking a look at the Black Caps and South Africa one-day series, it's two apiece at the moment. New Zealand squared it up on Wednesday when Martin Guptill made an incredible return to the international cricket scene. He made 180 at Seddon Park in Hamilton. To start off with, Stephen, what have you made of this series so far? It's been quite topsy-turvy. Do you think, you know, it's lived up to the hype? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, it's actually been been interesting, I mean, because obviously one day is a, a bit of a dime a dozen, mm. um, and there was possibly the thought that the, the Black Cats might have get, got rolled a bit by South Africa. They were sitting at number one at the start of this tour. They've slipped back a bit uh, now with Australia taking that top spot, but it's been, yeah. a, been a really good good series. I mean, a, as you said, it's, it's waxed and waned. Uh, the, uh, the innings the other night of Martin Gupta was obviously something very, very special. Um, against a team that that is is one of the best, and in a situation where the series was we needed to, or the Black Caps needed to win the series to keep uh, keep it alive, and now they go into this 
fifth match and the last one of the series with it all tied up and everything everything to gain. And a ground two, of course, that the, the Black Caps are, have been or had a lot of success at. Uh, so, mm. uh, yeah, it's been, been, been a fascinating series. It has. I'm sure South Africa would like to forget the last time they played the Black Caps in a one-day at Eden Park, and, uh, going back to 2015 there. Um, just mentioning Martin Guptill, were you at all surprised by his omission from the Test squad? No, not at all. I mean, he's had a fair few chances at uh, having a crack at that opening spot, and test-wise, the... They've uh, got a, a combination that seems to be going OK. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, you'd like Martin Guptill in there. The plan now is for him to go back and play at Auckland and have a crack in the middle order for, for Auckland and domestic cricket and perhaps come into the Black Caps through there. But, I mean, he's had had a, um, a fair whack at, at trying to grab an opening spot and it just hasn't worked out. I mean, it's a very different format. Yeah. Um, the, the, ball, the red ball moves around a whole lot more. The pitches are very different. Um, yeah, so I mean, he's, he's obviously got the, the talent, but for whatever reason, he just hasn't managed to put it together at, at Test cricket consistently. But I mean, there's a, there's a chance for him if he can can work things out in the, in the middle order, perhaps. Yes, that would be very interesting to see him come in at number five or six for the Black Caps in the Test environment. Mm. Um, now, something I have noticed uh, creeping in a little bit in the last sort of six months to probably a year now is. I found I've noticed in particular also in the South Africa series, Tim Southey's death bowling has been woeful. To be honest, um, have you noticed that yourself? I, I I don't know where it's gone. Yeah, they've they've struggled a bit, haven't they? That Bolt and Southey at times. Yeah. Uh, I think the the prime example of that of that was that uh, match uh, the the other day in Hamilton when the spinners from forty to forty five went for something like thirty five overs. Uh, uh, 35 runs in that, that yeah. five-over block, and Southie and Bolt went for 70. Uh, I mean, it's a it, it's a tough one because you get it slightly wrong, and, and mm. it all looks so so bad. And then you've yeah. got batsmen that have been in there like Faf Duplessis at that mm. particular time mm. of the innings, who who's one of the one of the best around, and mm. could actually ultimately decide this series. But mm. yeah, I mean, things just haven't gone quite right for them. It's. I mean, you also look at how the Black Caps fell over in Wellington, but then they bounced back and win like they did the other night. That, that's True. that's the mm. fine line, I suppose, and yeah. it exists in all part of the game for for one day cricket. But yeah, I mean, it it, uh, it can be, can be the difference between sort of chasing two twenty two thirty to two seventy two eighty, uh, and yeah, um, yeah it's. Uh, it, I think it, it's certainly an area that's got to be causing a, a little bit of a headache for, for them. I mean, it's not a, not a full blown migraine, I don't think, but but yeah, certainly a, certainly a, a, a bit of a, a bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, I guess just looking at the Black Cat squad um, in general, a lot of changes I've noticed in the last sort of six months. You would say with there's been a few players coming in and out. You look at Gene Patel, for example, coming back and playing so well for the Black Caps in Hamilton. Uh, you've got Jeet Raval coming into the side. You've got Dean Brownlee going out. Matt Henry going out, coming in. What do you what do you make of all these changes? Are they good or a bad thing? Do you think for the Black Caps? Well, I think it's just a sign of that. I mean, we've actually had the three different formats: the T20, the ODIs, mm-hmm. and the Test matches. And they are very different, and it's also an opportunity with the T20s, as we've seen with uh, um, Mike Hessens used it to, to blood a few players at international mm. level. Um, I suppose the other thing is form. I mean, a few players have had a chance and, and just mm. not managed to, to put the runs on the board in, in the Test match or, or the ODIs at times. Uh, and given there are so many games full stop that mm, uh, that's true. players... Mm. 
come get and go through injury, through whatever. I mean, obviously Martin Guptill missed the, the first uh, or the few games of the South African tour through injury. I mean, bowlers have always got problems. Neil Wagner's come back into the test squad, but he's had a broken finger. Mm, uh, mm. There, there's there's all sorts of things going on when you've got so many players. But, it, it, but I mean, you'd want... In, in in an ideal world, a bit more stability, perhaps, but yeah. um, it is what it is, and they've managed to, to cope reasonably well with it, or very well with it, in fact, in the last six months. They have indeed. In fact, what do you look at? 28 games at home, they've won out of 32 or something, so, you know, the uh, selectors are doing something right, I guess. One player I would like to see maybe get a crack one day eventually is George Worker, though. I don't know what that man has to do, but I hope he can finally make it into that team one day because he is doing some phenomenal things in the domestic scene. Uh, just taking a look, obviously, at the White Ferns as well. They're playing Australia in the Rose Bowl at the moment. Came off the back of a, win, a series win over in Australia in the T20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you made of the uh, Black uh, White Ferns performance in the last uh, few months? Yeah, well, they were on a bit of a, a, a role too. I mean, they've got a chance to, to win this Rose Bowl trophy for the first time in 18 years. Uh, that They could have wrapped it up in Tauranga in the, the game too, uh, but things got a, got away on them a bit. I mean, the the standout player is obviously Amy Satterthwaite. Mm. Uh, huge, huge record there she had. She's equaled uh, Kumar Sangakara for four consecutive centuries in, in one-day matches, and uh, she failed by her standards. I use that word in inverted commas because she was out for 85 uh, in the last match. So she fell 15 runs short of making it five centuries on the trot. Um, but she's been in outstanding form. Uh, and then uh, young Amelia Kerr, the leg spinner, also played a big part in that second game. She took four four wickets. But uh, the, unfortunately, the rest of the bowlers weren't quite up to the, the mark. So that, so we've got the, that's on Sunday, that series decider. That's in uh, Mount Monganui again. So one all there, and it'll be uh, a fascinating encounter too. So yeah, plenty, plenty of top class cricket, and fascinating cricket to to look forward to over the weekend. Yes, good luck to the New Zealand teams this weekend. Thanks very much, Stephen. And you are listening to Extra Time. Last year was another bitter disappointment for the New Zealand Warriors in the National Rugby League competition. Well, that's just like all 21 of their previous seasons. It's been five years since the Warriors last made the playoffs, but there does appear to be some hope within the club this season after their two big off-season signings among their playing and coaching roster. Everybody's fired up. You can see it in the eyes of the Warriors. The crowd are fired up. And these Storm boys are as well, so it's going to be a great clash of the forwards. Jovanna showing them the way home. He won't be wearing the Warriors playing jersey again, but Stephen Kearney has returned to Mount Smart Stadium after almost 20 years in the hope of finally winning the Auckland-based club's first NRL Premiership title. Kearney has taken over as head coach from Andrew McFadden, who failed to reach the playoffs once in the three seasons he was in charge. Kearney's record as an international coach is impressive, winning the World Cup in 2008, as well as the Four Nations Trophy in 2014. But as an NRL coach, he has a worse winning record than McFadden, winning only 24% of his games when in charge of the Parramatta Eels in 2012. The 44-year-old is a man of few words, but has made no secret that he expects nothing but the best out of his team week in and week out. For me, you know, the important part is, you know, as I keep saying, is preparation. You know, for, for me, it's about making sure that we prepare well, you know, to perform well on Sunday and and. Uh, 
So for me, that's the you know that's the focus. Cooney has the backing of his former Warriors coach in the 1990s, Frank Endicott, who says having a New Zealand coach at the helm is the right move for the club. Endicott blames the Warriors' failure to win an NRL title in 22 years of trying on inconsistency. Uh, they, they always come up with that magic performance that could beat the top team in the competition and then play two or three poor games in a row. So if we get that consistency this year, um, I think we're, we're in for a good year. I, I, you know, I look at the squad. Uh, on paper, we're, we're as good as any team in the competition. So, uh, you know, let's hope. The other off-season signing that has dominated the Warriors' pre-season headlines has been controversial Kiwis playmaker Kieran Foran. The 26-year-old joined the club in September last year on a one-year deal after walking out on the Parramatta Eels just two months into a three-year multi-million dollar contract. Foran's life unravelled after his Parramatta walkout, his relationship with his partner broke down and he attempted to take his own life. His contract with the Warriors was registered by the NRL only last month and he won't be allowed to play until at least week four once he's completed one final psychiatric assessment. The Warriors are adamant Foran's the silver bullet to finally provide the club a premiership title and Endicott agrees. He will give uh, Sean Johnson that stability uh, so that they can complement each other um, and, um, and I think that's a half combination as good as anything around. So, yeah, if, uh, if they can click together from day one, I think that um, they're a big factor in being there at the end. If Foran is finally cleared to play, he'll join his Kiwis partner, Sean Johnson, to form what will be one of the best backlines in rugby league. Johnson says he's itching to get back on the field with Foran. He also says it's time the Warriors show their fans what they're truly made of. We just want to walk off the field knowing we've done, I guess, ourselves and our families proud and that in turn probably means we've done the members proud as well. So, um, you know, we want to be a club that everyone's proud of and um, we've had a few tough years, but, um, you know, bro, we're working hard and um, that's not going to change. So uh, that's all we can do and looking forward to getting into it. Fifteen other teams are vying for the title, though. The ever-consistent Melbourne Storm and Brisbane Broncos are expected to be among the top contenders. One thing experts here and across the Tasman agree on is 2017 promises to be one of the most competitive years in NRL history. Finally, the sporting community is mourning the loss of former Silver Fern Tanya Dalton, who died on Wednesday after collapsing last week while playing touch rugby. She was 45. Dalton suffered a ruptured aneurysm and had been on life support last week, but that was switched off on Tuesday afternoon. Sports editor Stephen Hewson looks back on her career. There it is! That's it! They have done it! 16 years and the drought is over! Tanya Dalton was a member of the New Zealand side which won the 2003 Netball World Champs in Jamaica 16 years after New Zealand's previous success in 1987. She played 37 tests for the Silver Ferns in an international career which spanned 11 years between 1996 and 2011. The former Silver Fern, Irene Van Dijk, played both with and against her at international and provincial level. Van Dijk says Dalton was a fierce competitor who never gave up, but she could also be very unconventional. She was like a sneaky cat. 
you know, you think you've pinned her down and then she comes up, um, you know, skidding on the baseline or stepping in, taking another shot. So she was definitely a crafty player that um, if things didn't happen, she would make them happen. Off the court, Van Dyke says Dalton was the life and soul of a party. When you say Tanya Dalton, the thing that jumps to mind is teabag dancing on the tables to Sweet Caroline and singing at the top of her lungs. Where did the name nickname Teabag come from? She loved drinking tea, and I think um, it just stuck. Everyone just calls her Teabag. So, yes, it's always, um, are you ready for a cup of tea? And as soon as you get into a room, if you're rooming with her, the first thing she will make is a cup of tea. So, yes, she was definitely a tea girl. The chief executive of Netball New Zealand, Jenny Wiley, says they learnt Dalton had collapsed during the National Body's AGM in Queenstown last week. She was one of those people that was vibrant and uh, a little bit cheeky um, and lived life to the full. And so she obviously had her time as a player and I'm sure there'll be lots of commentary on, on what she did on the court. Equally, she was a mum and an ambassador for, for women within the sport. So, yeah, equally as important as what she delivered on court. Jenny Wiley says many in the netball fraternity got to say goodbye to Dalton over the past few days, which will help in the grieving process. Tanya's one of those people that always gave to others, um, and the fact that she was able to put up a fight for you know a number of days and let her closest friends and family have that time with her, I think was a testament to someone that you know will always be remembered for what she gave back. Tanya Dalton is survived by her husband, Dwayne, and three children. A memorial service will be held at North Harbour Stadium on Monday. Well, that's extra time for this week. Your feedback is always welcome via Twitter at RNZ Sport, or you can email us, sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chatterton. See you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.